Hi guys, I'm Matt. And I'm Lauren. And this is the Out of Time Podcast, episode four. Yeah, and we're going to be doing things a little bit differently this week because this episode is being released on Friday the 13th. (laughs) 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 Sorry guys, there's a lot of sleep deprivation in our house at the moment. Um, Yeah, so we're changing up the format and just to up the spook factor for Friday the 13th, we are going to be swapping some stories about haunted objects I have two, so do you want me to go first? How many have you got? Yeah, I've only got the one, so definitely you go first. At the Fort East Martello Museum in Key West, Florida, inside a glass case sits a doll, three feet tall and dressed in a sailor suit. At over 100 years old, he unsurprisingly shows signs of ageing. Nicks of missing cloth marking his face, his limp arms holding a toy of his own, a rather bug-eyed dog. Upon hearing of this child-sized doll in a sailor suit, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, that sounds absolutely adorable. But a quick Google search will quickly dispel that notion. For those who haven't already guessed, I am, of course, talking about Robert the Doll. And he is far from cute. He is totally terrifying. So, Matt, this is a picture of Robert the Doll. For anyone else who wants to see it, it'll be over on our Instagram and Facebook pages. Okay, well, he looks... a bit freaky i think that's an understatement i find robert really scary and i'm not usually one to find sort of haunted objects scary but you'll see why as i carry on it's the eyes it's it's everything robert is credited with causing car crashes malfunctioning electronics physical discomfort to those in his presence and various other negative repercussions for visitors who don't follow the rules but how did robert alleged to be the world's most haunted doll, come to reside in a museum. To answer that, we need to go back to 1904, when the doll was gifted to a four-year-old boy named Robert Eugene Otto. There are two stories as to how the doll came into Robert Otto's possession. The first is that the doll was a gift from one of the household servants. It said that Mrs Otto was very harsh with her servants, and one may curse the doll, using voodoo to possess it with an evil spirit. Okay, that's... And the thing is, it's for a four-year-old. Does it sound familiar? Have you ever seen the film Child's Play, like Chucky the Doll? No, I don't think I've ever seen it. Sort of know about it. Okay, because I haven't seen it either, but what I do know is that Chucky is obviously given to a child and that his origins is supposed to be like that he is possessed and voodoo was used to create him. Okay. The second is that the doll was a birthday gift from the child's grandfather, which he had brought back from a trip to Germany. And while we can't be 100% sure which is true, more inclined to believe that his grandfather was the one who gave it to Robert Otto, as the Fort East Museum have managed to trace the doll's origin to the Stife Company, and one of the company historians informed them that the doll wasn't made for use as a toy, but rather as part of a window display. Which makes sense when you think it's three feet tall, so it's the size of an actual child. Yeah, so more like a mannequin sort of thing. Yeah, but he's made of cloth and he's stuffed with straw. The outfit, however, was not supplied by the company. The sailor suit belonged to Robert Otto, the doll's owner. And as you have probably realised, not only did Otto give the doll his own clothes, he gave him his name. Apparently, not long after receiving the doll, Robert Eugene Otto approached his parents and said that he wanted to be called by his middle name, 
which they usually shorten to Jean, because the doll wanted to be called Robert and they couldn't share the name. Okay, that's creepy. It gets worse. So just to make it clear from now on, whenever I refer to Robert, I am exclusively talking about the doll I'm going to call the owner Jean, and that should stop any confusion. Jean absolutely adored Robert right from the start. He would carry the doll around, even though it was basically the same size as him. He'd sit Robert at the dinner table with them when they ate, and like a lot of children, Jean would talk to Robert, even going as far as to blame the doll for mischievous behaviour, like things getting broken or things going missing. So it all sounds very normal sort of child's play. Yeah. But arguably, this love Jean had for his doll would go on to become a bit excessive, and the longer Robert was around, the stranger things would become. The once mischievous children's games would soon turn more malevolent. Jean would spend hours alone in his room chatting away to Robert, but unlike other toys, Robert would talk back. What? Apparently Jean's parents would hear him in his room talking to the doll, just like normal, and then they would hear a deep, adult voice answering their son. And they said this voice was totally different to any of the voices that Jean would make during play. Now, that's freaking me out already. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, I don't care how attached to that doll my child is. The second it starts talking, I'm getting rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be straight out of the house. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. I don't know where your doll's gone. (laughs) Yeah, no haunted objects in my house. Thank you very much. Well, things don't get better. As Jean got older, his parents would wake up to him screaming in the night. One time this happened and Jean was about 10 years old. His mother rushed to his room, but the door was inexplicably locked. She could hear Jean crying and the sound of things being moved around the room. When she was eventually able to get the door open, she saw Jean curled up in bed, terrified, and overturned furniture everywhere. Robert was just sitting on the end of the bed... And it said that when Jean was asked what happened, his only answer was, Robert did it. The family also claimed to have seen Robert moving around the house, turning up somewhere totally different to where he'd been left. They said they would often hear a devilish giggle, and even that they would see the expressions on his face change. No thanks. Robert would also watch neighbours out of the window and some of them also claimed to have seen him moving around inside the house. Eventually, when Robert was put up in the attic, the family and their guests would hear laughter and footsteps above them. No. No, 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 no. Well, despite all these really quite scary goings-on, Jean and Robert remained inseparable and this very intense relationship would continue into Jean's adulthood. Eventually, Jean went off to study art in New York and then in France. But when his parents passed away, he returned to his childhood home with his wife, Anne. And of course, Robert was there too. Now, Anne hated Robert. (laughs) She thought he was creepy and she felt like Jean had an obsession with this doll. Apparently, Jean would still have Robert with him all the time, including him sitting on a chair in the room while Jean worked on his art. At some point, Robert even had his own room with built-to-scale furniture within the attic. But Jean began to suffer from extreme mood swings and he would physically lash out at Anne. Just like when he was a child, Jean would blame this behaviour on Robert. 
Eventually, Anne tried to convince Jean that Robert needed to go, but he only ever went as far as locking Robert in the attic. And Robert was not happy about being locked up there. Apparently, they would hear sinister giggles and footsteps, again, just like when Jean was young. And it wasn't long before local parents began contacting Jean and Anne, saying that, according to their children, there was a scary doll watching them out of the window when they walked to school. No, I've just got chills. <laughs> I don't like the thought of that, to just be walking down the street and out of this like top floor window, there's this, especially a doll that looks like Robert. I can imagine that was very scary for the children. And some sources say that this really surprised Jean because the attic didn't have a window and the window the children said that they could see Robert through was actually the bedroom window. What? Again, this was only in some of the articles, but they said that following these complaints, Jean did actually find Robert sitting in a rocking chair by the window in their bedroom. And despite attempts to keep Robert in the attic, he kept coming downstairs. In 1974, Jean passed away, followed shortly by Anne, and the property was sold to a lady named Myrtle Rooter. Along with the house came the ever-present Robert. Myrtle says Robert would move around the house on his own, that footsteps and laughter were often heard by her and her guests around the house. And in 1994, after 20 years of owning him, even taking the doll with her when she moved house, Myrtle donated Robert to the Fort East Martello Museum, claiming that he was haunted. Of course, the museum accepted the doll, and Robert can still be visited there today. Once news of Robert's presence at the museum spread, people came from all over Key West, and then even further afield to visit him. One of the first things workers and visitors of the museum realised is that Robert does not like having his photo taken. Many people find that their cameras stop working, producing only black images when they try to get a shot of Robert. Sometimes their whole photo reel will completely corrupt, only for the camera, if not the images, to return to normal once leaving the museum. That's weird. And there are rules for exactly what you should do when visiting Robert, mainly that you should introduce yourself to him, ask permission before attempting to take photos of him, thank him and say goodbye when you're finished. Obviously, Robert doesn't actually offer up a yes or a no, so even if you ask, you're still taking a chance as to whether he's actually giving you his permission. Needless to say, over the years that Robert has been on display, not everyone has taken the assertion that he's haunted seriously. Many people have either not followed the guidance or openly mocked or disregarded Robert's backstory completely, even in the presence of the doll. But it seems that a lot of people soon regret this, with letters of apology arriving daily at the museum, often begging Robert's forgiveness and listing the misfortunes that have befallen the writer since their visit. People have blamed everything from car crashes to job losses on their visit and decide to email or write to Robert in an attempt to stop their series of unfortunate events. I've actually got a real-life example of one letter that I'm going to read to you. This one is from the 31st of March 2010. It says, Dear Robert, I'm very sorry for not asking your permission to take your picture whilst visiting the museum last week. Since I've taken your picture without permission, many strange things have happened to me. While driving back from the Keys, a deer ran out in front of our car. We had to swerve to avoid hitting it and ran off the road. We almost hit a tree. Two days later, we had a small kitchen fire. Also, we've been hearing childlike giggles coming from the basement. I can't cope with that. No, that's not nice. 
I'm so glad we don't have a basement. <laughs> Last night I was home all alone. I heard a voice coming from the basement. When I went to investigate, I tripped and fell down the bottom of three stairs. I got up to run, but the door was locked. My husband said I probably turned the lock by myself without thinking about it and locked myself in the basement. But honestly, Robert, we both know the truth. (laughs) (sighs) Please accept my deepest apology for taking your picture without asking. Also, please accept my daughter's apology for sticking her tongue out at you and making fun of you. So it seems they got his attention. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> it's it's a lot, isn't it? When it's, you read that. It's very full on. And I did see a few others that said common themes were people's flights home being cancelled or delayed, their luggage going missing, or that they've had constant car trouble since visiting him. Like all, all different things. But not all the letters Robert receives are apologies. He also gets notes saying thank you for letting us take your photo, general fan mail saying how much people love him, and even requests for him to curse people. Okay. Yeah, people obviously have a lot of faith in the power of this doll. Yeah. But in addition to the letters, people often leave offerings, essentially, to Robert. These include money, sweets, and even joints. (laughs) Because, obviously, if you're going to leave him a joint, you have to leave some sweet treats for when he gets the munchies. Definitely. Makes sense. Staff at the museum don't eat anything that gets sent in either, so clearly they're not taking any risks, and I don't blame them at all. (laughs) Once a year, Robert gets taken out of his display case for a checkup to make sure that the weather conditions in Florida aren't causing his straw-filled body to deteriorate. Occasionally, Robert's caretaker at the museum will answer some of the correspondence for him, especially that from children who've been to see him. In an interview for Atlas Obscura, she stated that she doesn't know if Robert is haunted, but she's never had a bad experience with him or felt uncomfortable. So is she the caretaker? Yeah. Right. It's believed, as I said earlier, that Robert is the inspiration behind the film Child's Play, and in 2016, a film was released entitled Robert. I think it might have been the first in a series, but I'm not 100% sure. But that was based on his origins with the Otto family. Oh, and in one of the Facebook groups that I belong to, we were talking about haunted objects and obviously Robert came up. And one lady said that her friend had been to the museum and was staying in an old house nearby. That night, after seeing Robert, she woke up because she felt a child-sized hand squeezing hers. What? Yeah. That, that is creepy. It is. And adding to that that it's a old house that you're staying in that it's not yours yeah just no (laughs) i think one of my friends actually he said that when he was younger he felt someone sit on the end of his bed and there was no one there no so i can i can imagine how scary feeling someone holding your hand could be and a, a little like child hand yeah just no So remember, if you're going to go and visit Robert, make sure you stay respectful, follow his rules. Who knows what terrible things could befall you otherwise. And I just want to say, I'm sorry, Robert, if you didn't want to be spoken about. I didn't mean to offend you. Please don't curse us. You're very interesting. (laughs) So that's Robert the doll. Yep. Okay, well, I'm freaked out now. (laughs) I have to say, you know 
that I'm a real skeptic when it comes to this sort of thing. I've said it before and I'll say it again, but researching Robert, reading people's letters and experiences with him, I actually have like a physical reaction telling you about it. My heart is racing and that's very unusual for something like this to No, I don't like that. No, thank you. No, thank you very much. (laughs) No haunted dolls, thank you. I think I forgot to say that at some points the family said that they would see him running up the stairs as well, which, yeah, I don't think I said that, did I? But No. Okay, well, now it's your turn to try and freak me out. Right, okay then. So my story is the curse of the crime boy. I already don't like this. (laughs) (laughs) The crime boy is one of a collection of around 65 paintings by the artist Bruno Amadio also known as Giovanni Brogolin. All the models are children, very sad and mostly crying. Prints of the paintings were mass-produced and readily available in stores during the 1950s to 1970s. It's thought that over 50,000 were sold in the UK during this time and tended to be appealing for young couples. Why? Which which I find bizarre. I mean, I find the painting really sad and I wouldn't want to own one, but I'll get a picture up for you to see, Lauren. And for you guys listening, they'll be up on our Facebook and Instagram pages for you to have a look at. Oh no. It's sad, isn't it? It's really sad. I mean, it's... From a technical standpoint, it's fantastic. It's really captured the appearance of the child in a very lifelike way but that just makes it even more sad he's got his little tears you say it's young couples who would often buy this yeah so if you're you're a young couple you're expecting to have kids why would you want well even if you're not expecting to have kids i mean think about when we first moved in together it would never have even crossed my mind to have artwork of a crying child on our walls no definitely not no no the unusual thing about this painting is that it has been found in the remains of many house fires during the 1980s in England, with the painting itself being untouched by the flames. What? Yeah. What, severe fires? Yeah, like the whole house being like destroyed and the painting surviving. Yeah. That silence is shock. I feel like my eye's going to pop out of my head. Is this real? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. On the 4th of September 1985, the British tabloid The Sun published an article titled Blazing Curse of the Crime Boy, with the subtitle saying, Picture is a fire jinx. In the Rotherham home of Ron and Mary Hall, a blaze broke out destroying the whole of the ground floor except one item, a painting of the crime boy, not even blackened by smoke. While the source of the fire was confirmed to be a chip pan, a common find in homes during this time. The Sun's article states that the couple believed that the painting to be somehow responsible for the fire. Is that just, you know, our insurance won't pay out if it's our fault? Maybe. (laughs) And it wasn't the first time the picture of the crime boy had been found amid the ashes of a torched home. The story claimed that a series of mysterious fires shared a common theme. They all happened just a short time after bringing the painting into their home and everything would be destroyed except the painting. This speculation started with Ron Hall's brother Peter 
a local fireman, and his claims were supported by the comments of fire station officer Alan Wilkinson. He asserted these paintings often turned up mysteriously unscathed in fires across the UK. It was well known to them, and he states that he would never think of owning this painting himself. He told them that he knew of about 50 different fires where the crying boy painting had been noted to be found intact in the remains. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> A week after the first article, the Sun published Crying Boy Curse Strikes Again. Painting under the headline was different, although it was still showing Crying Boy. The story was pretty much the same. A seemingly ordinary fire turned creepy when an undamaged copy of the Crying Boy was found in the wreckage of the house. By this time, the stories started pouring into the paper from people all over the country who had similar experiences. Dora Man from Surrey said she lost everything, including all her other paintings, in a fire six months after buying her copy. It was the only painting left after the fames were extinguished. Particularly unsettling, given that she had several paintings and this one's okay? Yeah, it's just the one. No, I don't like it. Sandra Cusk from Kilburn, North Yorkshire, said she, her sister-in-law and a friend all bought the copy of the painting and all suffered serious house fires in the months following. Brian Parks wrote in to say he had destroyed his copy after finding it in perfect condition in his living room that had been gutted by fire that left his wife and three children in hospital needing treatment for smoke inhalation. But it seems Brian was lucky as other readers said they had also tried to destroy their copies by burning them. But even after an hour in the fire, the picture wouldn't burn. This is giving me Dorian Gray vibes. <laughs> I don't know why, because it's not similar. I just... I don't like it. I don't think haunted paintings is something I'm going to like talking about. <laughs> Dorian Gray is the one with um, him staying young, isn't it? Yeah. But the painting is like locked in the attic and it's terrified. It's like the painting ages and he doesn't. But it also shows the rotten decay of his personality in a physical way. It's... I don't like it. <laughs> As months passed, the Sun continued to print headlines about the fires linked with the crying boy. But as the reports continued, more and more people who owned copies of the various crying boy paintings featured began getting concerned with the supposed curse some believing that they would be jinxed for even trying to destroy it. Just to clarify, this isn't just one painting. There are several versions of... Yeah, it's, it's the collection of works from him. Okay, but they're not all of one boy, they are? No, it's there's some girls, boy, it's boys, girls... Varying of, ages or, or all Varying quite, yeah. ages. I think they're, mate, they're all young, I think. I think okay, so around, it's just like crying children. Yeah. Okay. In an attempt to curb the growing public hysteria, the South Yorkshire Fire Service issued a statement in which it said that they had been able to identify the cause of the fires as human carelessness and omission. For example, unattended chip pans, grills, electric fires left too close to the source of ignition. And that given a large amount of prints had been sold, any connection with fires is purely coincidental. Officer McRiley also offered up a possible explanation as to why the painting seemed to be able to survive the blaze. He stated, The reason why this picture has not always been destroyed in the fire is because it's been printed on high-density hardboard, which is very difficult to ignite. 
This wasn't going to stop the media sensation, and the Sun ran the headline, Crying Flame, on Halloween 1985, requesting that the public send their crime boy paintings to them to be destroyed. According to an editor of the paper, the office was overrun with crime boy pictures, with the editor giving strict instructions that the painting was not to be hung in the office. A bonfire was arranged near the River Thames, with huge loads of the paintings thrown into the blaze, with the desire to dispel the curse, and it seems fight fire with fire. But how did these paintings become cursed? Could the answer be found in the life of the very artist who painted them? There is a story that Bregonin may have adopted a young boy off the streets, against the advice of the local priest. This boy's life seemed to be surrounded by fire. It's alleged that the boy, Don Benillo, ran away after an accidental fire killed his mother and father in their home in Spain. The villagers doubted the fire was an accident, and said that the fires followed the orphan boy wherever he went. They nicknamed him Diablo, which is Spanish for devil. That's quite harsh. That's I thought Poor that. child. The child was understandably traumatised and grieving. Could his tears have been the inspiration behind the crime board portraits? It seems that Don may have been the true cause of the fires, as when Bregolin's studio was gutted by a mysterious blaze, he accused Don of arson, which resulted in the young boy running away in tears, never to be seen again by the artist. In 1976, a 19-year-old man lost his life to a fire, in an explosion resulting from a car accident. Although the remains were badly burnt, police discovered part of a driving licence, and they were able to make out the name of the driver. It was none other than Don Bonillo. Back in 1980s England, the Halloween bonfire, consisting of hundreds of copies of the painting sent into the sun, enough for piles 12 feet high to fill the newsroom, seemed to appease the public worry. The burning of these items were supervised by the fire brigade, and went without a hitch. All the paintings were destroyed, the son quoted a fireman saying, I think there'll be many people who can breathe a little easier now. So they destroyed all the paintings that were sent in? Yeah. In a fire? Yeah. So they do burn then? <laughs> Eventually, it seems. <laughs> but it turns out that not all the crying child paintings linked to the fires were from the collection by Giovanni Brogolin. Some of the images were prints of crying children painted by Scottish artist Anna Zinkaisen. In October 2010, for his BBC Radio 4 show, Punt P.I., Steve Punt investigated the curse of the crime boy paintings and attempted to explain why the pictures were the only items to survive the 1980s house fires. In a video available on YouTube, Steve has a corner of the painting set on fire. It only seemed to stay alight for a couple of minutes, not really spreading across the painting, only causing a hole to appear in the corner where they lit it. The boy's face remained untouched. He concluded that one of the reasons that this and other prints didn't burn is due to the manufacturing process itself. The prints were treated with a varnish that helped make them fire resistant. Couple that with what the firefighter said at the time, about it being printed on high density hardboard, and it seems there's a logical explanation for the phenomena after all. Basically, they were so well made that the success of the manufacturing process and the popularity of the prints from the perfect base for the curse of the crime boy to become a fully-fledged urban legend.
Mm. Helped, of course, by the media sensationalising we've all come to expect from rags like The Sun. Well, yeah, definitely. Whatever you think about this case, it's definitely a strange one. And I find it sad all round. From the children depicted in the paintings, to those who have lost everything in the fires, and the poor life of little orphan Don. Although the legend of the crying boy curse has died down, it seems that people still feel uneasy about the paintings. The curse faintly glowing like the cinders of the fires that it seemed to cause in the back of people's minds. Oh, good ending. Well done. <laughs> yeah, that was really strange. I mean, I'm, I'm glad there's a logical explanation for it, but I don't know. If the sun were able to burn such a huge volume of them, I don't know. This is quite confusing. I mean, I, I don't think they caused the fires or anything. Like no. you say, they were fire I, retardant and really popular. The, yeah. I mean, and, the common cause is definitely human error. De- well, chip pans were notoriously, you know, I dangerous. still are. Yeah, they are. But especially in the 80s, they were quite new. And yeah, I think the they hype were, around them. Was yeah, they were suddenly sort of like the, the painting suddenly became popular. And yeah. yeah did cause quite a lot of fires so that was a really interesting one cool good job this is the last one because i'm starting to feel really (laughs) freaked out (laughs) we need to try and sleep okay so i'll finish this off and this is about the dark mirror have you heard of it i haven't ever heard of it okay neither had i and i think it's because it only sort of came about in like 2015 so it hasn't got the infamy of things like Robert the Doll, he's 100 years old. Those paintings you were talking about, you know, they date back quite a long time. But this is relatively new. Okay. okay. The first thing we need to talk about is scrying. And scrying is a centuries-old form of divination, which seeks to use reflective surfaces such as mirrors, water and crystal balls, and the visions seen within them, to tell the future or perceive hidden knowledge. The concept of scrying is where our final story starts. In 2015, a mother and daughter visited a psychic expo. The mother took an interest in scrying and decided to purchase her own scrying mirror made of black glass held within an ornate frame. But as the weeks passed, this woman's behaviour would become concerning enough that her daughter decided that drastic action was needed, and not long after, the mirror was donated to the Travelling Museum of the Paranormal and the Occult. Again, I'd never heard of this before, but it's described as the world's only mobile museum of haunted, cursed and supernaturally significant artefacts, run by supernatural researchers Greg and Dana Newkirk. Now that sounds really interesting. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> I, I did look and it's just in America, so maybe <gasps> Come on, guys. post-Covid days. <laughs> Come on. No one can go anywhere. Along with the mirror, the woman gave the Newkirks a troubling backstory. After purchasing the mirror, her mother had become fixated on scrying, and as time went on, it became harder and harder to even contact her. But when she was able to speak to her mother, she seemed distant, almost vacant, and not at all happy. Apparently, she told her daughter that she wasn't having any luck with scrying, even going as far as to say that she thought there was something wrong with the mirror. Understandably, this really concerned the woman, and when things continued on the way they had been, with the lack of communication and her mother's seemingly ever-growing discomfort around the subject, she decided that this obsession had gone on long enough, so she turned up at her mother's house and demanded to see the mirror herself. 
it turns out her mother had been locking the mirror away and keeping it covered with a black veil. Warning bells. <laughs> Just a bit. But seeing her mother's distress growing, the daughter questioned her as to why she was keeping the mirror like that. Her unsettling reply? Because it's evil. It's evil. Yeah. And as I think most adult children would, the daughter decided to take the mirror out of the house and away from her mother. I imagine you or I would do the same thing if there's an object causing one of our parents this much emotional turmoil. We would just take it away. Definitely. But the daughter kept the mirror in a box, still covered by the veil. But she was unable to shake this creepy feeling that it gave her. So she decided to donate it to the Newkirks on the proviso that she remained anonymous, which is why I haven't used any names in that part of the story, because they're not there. Obviously, the Newkirks aren't strangers to paranormal objects or the stories that people tell when donating them, and this was no different. They accepted the mirror and kept it in their living room, where many of their other exhibit items are also stored. Their living room? Yeah. (laughs) Brave people. Um, But they did keep it covered, except for Greg says that he did have a quick peek. But he didn't keep it because either of them were scared of the mirror, but rather they were scared of the potential disappointment that if they looked into it and saw nothing, you know, it's got an interesting backstory. You don't want to sort of kill the illusion if it is one. The next event scheduled for the Travelling Museum was Perryville Battlefield, and this would be the mirror's first public appearance. Greg said that it only took a few minutes for the veiled mirror to catch the attention of a few people in the crowd, even before they'd fully set up. Which I suppose if something's covered, it does sort of up the The, uh, intrigue and the the interest. One of the biggest draws of the Newkirk's Museum for the public and fellow paranormal investigators alike is that you're actually allowed to handle the items. You can experiment with them, test them out, as long as you agree that you do so at your own risk and you take full responsibility for whatever happens. Okay. I wouldn't be doing it. I know you wouldn't. Neither would I. I'm too much of a wimp. After reiterating the mirror's origin story to those gathered around, one woman reached out and, without any hesitation, picked up the mirror and removed the veil. She stared into the black glass of the mirror for around 30 seconds before slamming it down with a horrified expression on her face. When asked what she saw, she replied, I saw my own decomposing corpse looking back at me. That's a dark mirror. I should not have done that. I need to go say a prayer. Excuse me. Well, that is horrifying. Yeah, the image of your own rotting corpse is not something anyone's ever going to want to see. But that is where the name, the dark mirror, came from, was this first experience that somebody had with it. And apparently after that, word spread of the dark mirror around the event and more people came over to try it out. A lot of them actually saw nothing more than their own reflection, but others were not so lucky. A creeping sense of dread, warped faces and other strange visions were reported that day. And one particularly intense encounter was with a woman who pressed her hand to the glass, claiming to have seen her own corpse reflected, along with other things that she didn't want to talk about. The handprint would not come off of the glass, no matter how many times it was like wiped and polished, eventually fading only when the woman threatened to smash the mirror. I wish you guys could see Matt's face right now. No, that... That's weird. That's like something out of a film, isn't yeah. it? That you go, not so unrealistic, but yeah, apparently it happened. Having seen all of this, Greg said that something just felt different when they took the mirror home that day. He said he would often find himself staring into space only to realise that he had, in fact, been staring at the veil mirror 
and he had to resist the urge to use it himself. Okay, so it was sort of drawing him in. It, it would appear so. The next event was around a month later, and given the success of the mirror's first appearance, Greg and Dana decided to showcase it again. And the mirror didn't disappoint. One self-proclaimed sceptic said that she saw her reflection's mouth moving as it whispered to her. No, thank you. <laughs> a man almost dropped the mirror after seeing another version of himself peer around his reflection before walking away. And people's experiences escalated from being visual to physical reactions. People described electricity coursing up their arms as they held the mirror. Some of them had headaches, and one woman described the sensation of her mouth filling with what she could taste was blood. There was no blood, but she had the sensation and taste of it happening. God, that's weird. Oh, and I forgot to say the second event was actually held at the Penhurst Asylum. Um, It was to support a tour for one of the hosts of a ghost hunting show in the US. But one of the organisers took the mirror into a separate room to try it out. And when she brought it back, she reportedly said that she could see other people in the reflection of the room, even though she was in there alone. No, 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 no. (laughs) I love how the theme of this episode is us going, no, I don't like it, no. Don't like it. So if this was like a uh, TV show, we'd be turning it off at this point. Yeah, if you, yeah, if that's in a film and you're a bit of a wimp and you don't like horror, then which which we both are. That wasn't like a slight on anyone. We both really struggle with. I love sort of suspense and thrillers, but full blown horror or just creep factors, I I don't like. Yeah, they still stay with me for a while. Yeah, it does not make for the easiest night's sleep. But again, the new coats take the mirror and put it back in their lounge, <laughs> only to find that in the days following, the mirror appeared to become more active. They often found the veil had come off during the night. So it's uncovering itself. Okay. Yeah. Their cats also had an aversion to it, but one morning Greg saw them both sitting on a chair, staring at the mirror and moving their heads as if they were following something in their line of sight. Right. Whilst looking in the mirror. Greg decided to try and capture some footage of the veil being removed and set up a motion-activated camera. Every day, the camera's memory card would be empty, even though over the course of that week, they found the mirror uncovered three times. But on the last day, the whole memory card corrupted and they've been unable to access the footage that was on there after that last night. They have not been able to recover it, even formatting the card doesn't work. The mirror's next outing was just as eventful. Several people claimed to have seen black masses hovering over their shoulder. And when a host from Paramania Radio tried out the mirror live on air, he said he saw his face distorted by a twisted grin. And he promptly covered the mirror and refused to try it again. <laughs> I don't like this mirror. I certainly wouldn't have it in my lounge. That's about all I could find on the dark mirror. But it is worth saying that since they have displayed the item at various events at supposedly haunted locations, not only has the mirror appeared to be more active, but other objects stored within the New Kirk's home that have not previously shown any signs of paranormal activity, despite their interesting backstories about being haunted or whatever, have started to act like you might expect a haunted object to, such as they've got a Ouija board planchette that's 
been burnt and it can be heard sliding around its display case in the night. That's weird. So it's sort of bringing out, either bringing out the strength of... Yeah, it's almost triggering these other objects to act in supernatural ways. And now, instead of displaying the mirror in the lounge with the other objects, the Newkirk started wrapping it in a sheet, laying a rosary over it and locking it within a chest. And that seems to have stopped the unusual activity of the other items in the collection. So the Newkirks have stated that they believe the mirror is not haunted, but rather that it's able to absorb energy. And the more they display it and allow people to interact with it, especially in locations that are supposedly haunted, it's able to become more active, maybe even feeding off of the fear that it creates. And this energy could be the reason why other previously dormant objects suddenly seem to start acting strangely around the mirror. Mirrors have historically been seen as having like mystical properties in some cultures some are viewed as portals to other dimensions including the spirit realm i mean my thought at this minute is going back to the woman who owned it originally what was she seeing what was she seeing and how long was she staring into the mirror if it was drawing um greg's attention attention and pulling him in was it doing the same to her? Was she having, like... Well, her daughter did say that she'd become almost obsessed. So, yeah, I would imagine that perhaps the mirror draws you in because it wants you to interact with it, because it wants to feed off the energy, like the Newkirks say. Yeah. That would be the theory behind it, wouldn't it? But all of this information, including the recollections of people's interactions, does all come directly from the Newkirks and their website. So I'll leave you to... Uh, decide what you make of that story obviously they would it could be argued that they have an agenda promote their museum their livelihood by having all these fantastic stories but i couldn't find any first-hand accounts of experiences with the mirror that didn't come from the newkirks ready for bed (laughs) no no not at all (laughs) Oh, so if any of you are listening to it at night, um, sleep tight, guys. <laughs> yeah. And that's all the stories we're going to share today. But if you guys enjoy this, then maybe we will do it again. Maybe we'll do other story swaps about haunted objects or places or anything, really unsolved disappearances, anything we can think of. We could always do th- do some more of these episodes. Yeah, and I'd personally like to thank Dan because without him talking to me about it i wouldn't have known about the cursed child painting so if you have any interesting things that you want us to talk about let us know and we will do some research and get them out yeah definitely if the information's there we'd love to do some requests so if you have any then feel free to email us at outoftimepodcast at outlook.com Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All the images relating to what we've spoken about today will be on there. Go and have a cheeky look at Robert the Doll and some crying children. So please rate, review and subscribe on Spotify, iTunes. Google Podcasts. I think we're everywhere now. I think all the accounts are up and going. So yeah, that's this week's episode. And we hope you'll join us next week for some more history, mystery, mythology and murder here on the Out of Time podcast. 